Welcome to Free Speech Nation, the podcast with me, Andrew Doyle. I'm utterly thrilled to have as my guest for this week's show, the actor and comedian, Rob Schneider. You'll know Rob from his many movies, such as Juice Bigelow, Male Gigolo, The Animal, Judge Dredd, Demolition Man. Uh, he's also got a, a new Netflix special called Asian Mama, Mexican Kids. That's his stand-up special. And also his series on Netflix, which you can check out, The Real Rob. Uh, we talked about all sorts of things in this conversation. We talked about comedy in the lockdown, the creative process, uh, the rise of the woke movement and how this is having an impact on the arts and culture more generally, and how we can get out of this uh, very weird authoritarian moment that we find ourselves in at the moment. I really enjoyed talking to Rob and I hope you enjoy hearing what he had to say. So Rob, you've been very creative in the lockdown, which I think is rather interesting because a lot of comedians just completely decided to sort of give up or go and do other things. Uh, but you've actually done an awful lot, haven't you? I try to keep, you know, uh, to keep working and, and doing things. Uh, it, it, when you get close to making like a film or a, um, or a sh I, you know, I shot my comedy special literally eight days before the, the world shut down. Yeah. Uh, you got to finish editing it. And there were some people who just weren't comfortable working. And, uh, and I just found somebody who was. And at that time, I, I think it's, um, I've been able to assess what's happening a little bit clearer. And, um, you know, I, I, I really feel like what, what happened is like anytime there's like a fear for an extended period of time, it, just, it does affect people's judgment. Yeah. And you're, not, you're no longer able to think rationally. And so the way I describe it to people, it's like, uh, you can't make good decisions when you're afraid, when you're in any emotional state. You just don't make good decisions. Like, you know, if you're, you know, if you're driving down the street and you almost get T-boned, you know, another car hits you like that. For the next year, you, and it becomes close. The next few blocks, it's like, I, I, you know, I just, you, yeah. you, that, is, that is not a condition to be making decisions. You know, after that, you go, I should marry that stripper from Russia. You know, you don't make those decisions at that moment. <laughs> I recently read John Cleese's book about creativity and one of the, the best pieces of, yeah. of advice in that is about how actually distraction is the worst enemy of creativity and you, you actually need space. So in a sense, could you say the lockdown can, can give you that? You know, just, <laughs> you don't have any commitments anymore. So what else are you going to do but create? Well, Kenneth Atchity wrote a really good book on, um, uh, on writing and, uh, and creativity. And he does. There's like, there, you need, it needs to kind of a gestation period. Mm. and um but not too long you have yeah. to like oh you lose that stuff so it's very important to gestate you have like this um this period of all these ideas and you, you write them all down and then you look at them and then you have to perform them or yeah. you lose them kind of have to get them out of your head and get them into other people's heads and you, then you get that immediate response uh yeah. and then you go off by that and it's it's kind of like the beginning of of the process and then through continued work you go but if you're not able to work that that is really difficult because yeah. then your 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 creativity is in a vacuum and um you know Cleese is, is one of those masterful geniuses who's able to um you know to keep working and 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 he actually worked with us um during the the, the pandemic he he you know he was he wanted to work yeah he's the great John Cleese and um we uh, I said well uh, there was no clubs for him or there was no theaters. And this is a guy who could sell out a big theater and, and just, just talking. He's one of the most entertaining people in the world, as you know, yeah, John Cleese. Yeah. I would pay, you know, you would literally pay, you know, 10 pounds to watch him eat lunch. 
yeah. would be entertaining. <laughs> he would do it in a funny it. way. <laughs> yeah. So um, he, um, I, I, you know, I reached out to him and see if he wanted to to do something. And um, I got him this uh, script that Monty Franklin and I, this uh, terrific uh, Aussie comedian, uh, and I worked on uh, about, uh, it's a silly idea. And I thought he's perfect for it. And it's basically yeah. about uh, um, the great emu war. And it's about how these, these, uh, the, the Australian army in 1932 went to war against a bunch of birds. Literally, it's a true story. They, they, uh, after World War I, they, uh, you know, Australia had given the farmland mm-hmm. to, um, to, the, to the returning soldiers from World War I. And, uh, and then also they wouldn't have to import all this wheat from the rest of the world. And so they built these wheat, wheat fields and it seemed it was going very well until 20 to 30,000 emus discovered that um, this is great to nest in. And so yeah. the farmers complained and then they sent the army out and then they, the army was outsmarted by these birds. So it's, it, and so, uh, you know, Mr. Cleese and I, and, and my, we had a blast writing it. We really had fun. And this is the but, film, you know, it's called the, the, the Great Emu War. Is that right? Yeah. Which, we're which, still trying to make it. They're still trying to make it. I mean, <laughs> of course, Australia is turned back into a prison colonies, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, very it's, bad. Uh, it's, yeah, it's tough there now. So I wish all my friends well there. And hopefully they'll, uh, they'll come out, be able to come out of it. But uh, we were able to write. And, and when we wrote, we wrote outside. Yeah. You know, John's 80. He's the, you know, He's the one the virus is trying to kill. Those are yeah. those are the people, you know. That's who is, you know. If it's designed, it's designed to get. And so we had, we ate and drank and uh, had um, and did our writing sessions outside yeah. in February, and it seemed uh, seemed safe enough because you you know the last thing you want to know because um, one of the guys we worked with was a terrific Aussie comedian Jim Jeffries, and then mm-hmm. Jim Jeffries test, tested positive for right. COVID, and then it's, and this is like after we'd worked with, um, with John and he's, and it was a false positive, thankfully. Right. And we were outside again, but just like, can you imagine? And he said, can you imagine I'll be the one that kills John Cleese? Can you imagine that one? That, that you know, that'll be a feather in your cap forever. And yeah, um, that would not be so, a good legacy to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's performing this weekend. You know, he's performed all, he's at his own TV show and he killed John Cleese. So it was, um, you'd be remembered uh, though. I mean, your name would go down in history, <laughs> not in a good way. Yeah. Not in a good way, but, uh, you know, so that's kind of what we're dealing with and trying yeah. to entertain now with the wokeism and, and then, you know, getting shamed for working right yeah. now. I mean, it's, it's a little bit, don't you sense it's a little bit, you know, performing now well, is like a little. I wanted to talk to you about this actually, because I mean, you know, you recorded your Netflix special just before the lockdown. I saw a live version of that, of course, a, a short while before and uh, it's 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 brilliant, and you go into Thank all you. sorts of areas which are, uh, I suppose, um, politically incorrect. I suppose um, uh, to to an extent, particularly. Uh, well, I wonder how much have things changed because you know we had the lockdown, the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, the culture war basically ended up exploding. So I remember we were talking before the pandemic about uh, the wokeness of the comedy industry, but. It's it's escalated. I feel. Am I am I right about that? Thing? It has. It has. And, and there's a. Um, it's a kind of like. Um, it, there's there, there in, in some car engines when you would rent a truck, it's got mm-hmm. a governor on it. You know when when like uh, yeah, I'm a working man. You know I mean I come from a working family. My but but like if you have like a uh, 
a truck that you'd rent from like U-Haul, whatever. It's got a governor on it. In other words, it's a self, um, it, it self-regulates how fast you, you're allowed to go. Yeah. So if you try to, you know, you're driving, you know, and you're just like, it pulls yeah, so it's back. like cruise control. Feel, it sort of stops you from going too far. Yes, it stops you from going too fast. Yeah. And so I feel like the audience has their own self mechanism now to stop them. Like, mm, maybe I shouldn't laugh at that. I really do feel right. that. I mean, yeah. there's a bit that I used to do about, um, about a, a form of racism or reverse racism. Well, you're overly nice because that's just in any way, I don't want anyone to think that I could possibly be racist. And mm-hmm. so, and, and so th- I would do that bit and it was a very successful bit, at least with the audience. And then, and it doesn't work anymore because People just feel like that as soon as the R word is, is brought up there, they just shut down. And then, and, and that's, um, I think that can work in the sense that like, you have to just make adjustments to it. If the audience adjusts then you need to adjust to that adjustment, yeah. and I think that can be done. And I think if you can, you need to let the audience know that they're safe. So sometimes you say, you know, it's dark in here. No one's videotaping you. No one's judging you. It's okay right now. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't feel like I need to say that now, but there was a time when I was still performing when, when everything just started to open up again, where you feel like, yeah, it's okay. You know? And I do think it's because they've been traumatized. I do think, you know, I don't you feel like there's a sense of, well, have you been gigging since, uh, recently since, since I have, I, I have done some shows now. Now people are ready to go out and have a great mm-hmm. time. I mean, they really want to, they are desperate to have a good time. And now things are slowing down again because, uh, you know, there's, um, the cases are, are, are going up again. And, yeah. and so, but, but as far as like entertainment in 2021, to me, it has a lot of similarities to trying to entertain people in Berlin in 1931, you know, 1930s. Yeah. You do feel a sense of, uh, of foreboding, like the whole thing could collapse on you. You know, yeah. you do feel like at any time the authorities can come in and grab you and put you in some place. I mean, it, there is that sense of, um, nihilism or what would you what would you call it is it is it this sense i understand exactly what you're saying it's this sense of uh, the walls are kind of closing in uh, there's there's a, a a an attitude that has sort of developed in the culture that that uh, almost as though comedians are are responsible for the when things go bad in society so they need to rein <laughs> themselves in like like we're magicians or something and the jokes are like spells that escape into society because i mean it really resonates with me with what you're saying because i used to do a bit uh, and it was about a celebrity over here who had been involved in a racist incident. And I, I started to notice that when I mentioned it, everyone would seize up and it's almost like, what's he going to say? And they didn't like it. But actually what I was doing was attacking the racist. I was going after the, but it didn't matter because it's just the theme was sufficient to, to, to. Yes, exactly. Nervous. Well, but what it, what it really is, is like what I think the woke are losing are allies. Mm. You and I are, are, we're allies with them. We're on the same page, but, you know, anytime you try to create a utopian society, you end up uh, burning books and then eventually burning people. And you end up making Chairman Mao and Adolf Hitler. They've all thought that we're going to make a perfect society. I like a government. And that's why I like, uh, you know, why a labor government's good sometimes, because they're not very successful getting things done. (laughs) You know, they (laughs) kind of stumble here and there. Whereas... You have like, and that's the kind of government I like, divided, not getting a lot done. Governments that try to get too much done and accomplish too much and have too much, all, they all have power, like in the United States right now. The reason why there's, uh, you know, we're having a real problem is because we're, we don't have real divided government because of the, 
Uh, the Democrats are control of the White House. Well, I mean, I don't even think Biden knows where he is. Let's be honest. Yeah. But, you know, um, the other day, his wife was giving a speech and he's standing next to him and, at a school and literally a pink fake ice cream cardboard truck goes behind him and he turned around and just started chasing it. I mean, so he's just not all there. Really? So, yeah, he's not there. So when the, the whole point, like, he, you know, he won't take questions. They won't say no questions. Mm -hmm. No people are just it's like a puppet. And then they literally next thing they're going to have is literally just moving him like this. It's yeah. almost like that Woody Allen, you know, or we can have or something like that. <laughs> well, yeah. remember Woody Allen's sleeper where yeah. it was just a nose that was left of the leader. <laughs> it's such a that shame, boy, but he got, he's never had press grueling him or give, giving him a hard time. It's, it's always been really, really soft. And ever since Afghanistan, it's all of a sudden he, he has to answer questions and he, he can't do it. You know? Yeah, and they've changed. The, they've changed the whole. You know, they got off that subject. They gave it a week. Like we're tough, and then they're it back. Was a week. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But yeah, you don't. Yeah, we're not having uh, press uh, freedoms. And, and the problem is, like, I was trying to make some sense of it. If you read the De Tocqueville's uh, Democracy in America, but the thing about it, what, what he really admired about it was people sense, like what we were saying. How you there's a sense of freedom, like you could say anything you want, or you yeah. can really critique people. And there was a freedom of association where people could just associate and then the and other people could and, and that created this um incredible freedom in America. That you know, America had its problems then, it has its problems now, it has problems with race still, of course. But um that defining uh the thing that sustained America was its mm -hmm. ability to speak your mind. Yeah, and that's that is that is i've never in my lifetime i've not seen that um like this i mean there has been times in american history like uh you know woodrow wilson who ran for president president woodrow wilson who ran as an anti-war president in you know 1914 and then and then became president and then had us going into the war and then threw people in jail who were anti-war people and anti-union activists as well so there has been historical thing, but I, I have not seen America in my lifetime. Where, yeah. and 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 the the UK as well, where people were fearful and. Well, we we we're worse in a way. We don't have a First Amendment, so we don't have those free speech protections. We actually have people who are investigated and arrested by the police for jokes they've posted online. That has actually happened a number of times in this country. That wouldn't ever happen. I mean, whenever I talk about that with Americans, they think it's ridiculous. That, that couldn't happen in America. But then now I hear there are people in America talking about how the First Amendment probably ought to be amended uh, so that hate speech, quote unquote hate speech, whatever we want to call that, uh, is, is suddenly prescribed. And that would be a problem when it comes to comedy because hate oh, speech yes. is quite a subjective idea. It is a subjective idea. And who's the one who's getting to it's just like when you have like a, a big tech right now, you're having um, the, the, the truth fact finders and the fact finders could be e easily flawed. And, yeah. and I, to me, I think I'm, I'm a Noam Chomsky, I, you know, not with everything, but with uh, for most of it, because of his human rights, because I think human rights isn't isn't just everything. It's the only thing yeah. and you have to enlarge the, the you have to. It's about freedom and it's about increasing the human condition. And one of the things Noam Chomsky talks about is at first free speech, which I think sums it up. Um, you're either for all of it or you're for none of it. Yeah. And that's including the hate stuff. And, 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 and I think it's very, uh, it's a clear cut case. And, and you present it really well in your book on free speech uh, oh, that um, like the opposite 
of free speech is worse. And you build a really, really strong case. And like Noam Chomsky, you really do show that if you expose the hate speech uh, and you argue it and you debate it and it's easily deflected and it's easily uh, kicked down as for what that is. But when you start, once you start down that road, where do you stop? Because uh, once you start start kicking off people like uh, Milo Yanovich or what's the guy's name? Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Milo, yeah, Milo. And then, and then you kick off Alex Jones. Okay, okay. Well, and then people, okay, good. We got, we got rid of those guys. Well, then all of a sudden, President Trump, like him or not, he was president of the free world. Yeah, that is a big thing to say that we're, you know, that is even, you know, his people who, who aren't too fond of him, like yeah. Merkel and, and other world leaders, President of Mexico, said that this is not a good idea. And so then the next thing you know, they did the same thing. They started with uh, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. So yeah. I really do think that, and people say it's a private company. They can do what they want. It is. It was built on a, they have protections from Congress hmm. to not get sued for libel. So if, right. they, if they're going to be a real true private company, then let them fight all these litigations. And again, it's a consolidation of power. And that consolidation of the press is dangerous because then you have this one world view where they start to just tell you what they want you to hear and, and, and silence those and, and deplatform. And I'm sure that, um, and, and by the way, that uh, all that crazy press thing started in England, you know, with all this, um, you, know, you guys are the ones with the press with the, the world and the mail and all these daily mail, yeah. the craziness of the press, I think started in the UK. And it's kind of, Oh, I mean, we have, that. yeah, we have the tabloids, you know, they are, <laughs> they're the worst, you know? Well, but you guys you, have that. That's a virus that went all over the world. Tabloids. Yeah, that's true. Do, do you feel, though, that when it comes to particular comedy and the arts in particular, uh, that, I mean, you know, you're, you're very established, so you, you can still afford to take risks. But if you were a young creative starting out in the business, it doesn't feel like you could get anywhere if you were like a risk taker. I, I mean, I don't see how you could get a, a Sam Kinison or a Lenny Bruce or a Patrice O'Neill or any. You, I don't see how that would happen in the current That's time. a very good point. Well, you're talking about some of our greatest, you know, and, and like, the I remember Sam Kennison, he was performing in 1985 mm. and literally he um, he was fantastic. And he was a, a real original voice, maybe the last original voice that was in stand up comedy um, in America. Yeah. Uh, but he, he would go and perform at a place and I would go in San Francisco because I was a young comic at the time. And people would, who paid money would and sit up front, would get up and walk out during the parts yeah. that they found offensive. You know, knowingly, I mean, it seemed pre-planned that they would do that. So, but, but at least, I mean, to, to, to be a comedian, you have to have failure and you have to know, I mean, like, that's why, you know, I remember Chris Rock uh, talking about that when this first, when people first started taping comedians on their cell phone yeah. and then putting it out and like, hey, this hasn't worked out yet. And you have to see the, co- the context. And yeah. since you brought up, since you brought up um, Lenny Bruce, Lenny Bruce would record, he was a fa- very famous He's the one who really helped change the censorship laws in the United States, along with uh, Henry Miller and others who started in the Tropic of Cancer in 1962, which also was involved in the UK dealing with censorship. So, but Lenny Bruce would get arrested for, um, for language and obscenity. Yeah. And then he would be judged by this old man and his, you know, as white haired white man in Chicago. Yeah. And then not only that, but the, he wouldn't even get the benefit of him being able to perform in front of an audience. You have just a, a, a you know, a stoic courtroom where a, um, a police officer would be reading 
the material. Yeah, which, which, which is going to kill the joke, right? <laughs> and, I, I, and I never think that the, the judiciary are best place for comedy criticism. I just don't think that's their thing, right? I don't think so. It's too, it's too Brit. It's, the, 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 it's, too, it's too lit. It's lit too well, you know. Yeah, yeah that, that's, really that's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but, but in a sense, that's 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 the thing that that, that there are, if there are too many boundaries, because I think boundaries within comedy can be quite interesting because it's like a challenge. You have to find a yes. way to talk about but, it. But, but if you're saying are, the young the young minds and the young comedians who are trying to develop, you need a place to fail. You need a yeah, place yeah, to literally. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. I first started performing. I mean, you could go and there'd be 12 people and then you'd realize that didn't work at all. Or yeah. you could go, well, this, I need to really act this out or I, I got too scared there. And you need a place to fail and also to, to have terrible ideas expressed and then, and, then, and then maybe work those ideas. I remember bombing so badly when I was a young comedian. It felt the only way I could describe it because I said, I'm going to remember this because I said, I have to like get a handle on this if I'm going to want to do this for a living. Yeah. I, I just, the best way I can describe it, and I'm sure you've been there too when you're young. It felt like my ears were melting off my face yeah. because, of, because, because I was it, bombing so badly. It's the, the worst feeling, isn't it? It's the worst it's the feeling. Worst. But, but how much more so is a comedian who's not just worried about bombing, but is worried about the being politically correct or, being, or, or saying something and being judged, not as yeah. a comedian, but as a human being. Like I'm just being a comedian. Like I would say like my, my friend, Norm MacDonald, who just passed away last week, he never cared about that. He was, yeah. he really was a purist, but he also was in a different era and he was actually to become a brilliant comedian. And, and, and before that, and, and it never, never gave into it, never just, but sometimes with bomb, I mean, Norm would sometimes the audience wouldn't get into that. Especially yeah. like I'm talking the last, 10 years. So you'd see some, you know, he would, but he wouldn't adjust. He yeah. would just do his stuff, but that, but that, he wouldn't give into it. In a sense, that is why I mentioned up and coming comedians, because that is partly the privilege of being such an established name. Someone like Ricky Gervais in this country, he says whatever he wants and he doesn't care uh, about the, 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 cause he can't be canceled, you know? And he um, can come to America. <laughs> well, yeah. And he, he gets to come over here. He can't be canceled, but that's, I still think that even he toes the line a little bit. He thinks about it. I mean, I do think he considers it. You have to, you know, because the weird thing is, like for me, like what I, what I feel about what's happening right now. I mean, I feel like I could talk about it on stage because mm. I've, I've, I'm established. But I also think like, you know, if you're partners with, with uh, the biggest streaming service in the world, and then if you also, you know, you're doing a commercial for this uh, international company. and you do, So you have to think, you know what? how much do I really want to rock the boat? And as a Canadian, yeah. it's your job. You know, the, the best description, Ralph Gleason, who was a, a terrific writer, talked about Lenny Bruce um, in the seminal book about Lenny Bruce. And he said that um, Lenny was the pearl in the oyster. Yeah. And, and Lenny Bruce, the great American comedian. And so the oyster is a beautiful thing that's created. So the oyster is the, is the, is the society and it creates this beautiful thing, a pearl that Lenny Bruce, but the pearl is killing is attacking the oyster. Yeah. So, and it, it has to cover it and cover it and hopefully it just goes away and it's this beautiful thing. So I, I do think that sometimes I think people forget that this is supposed to be an irritant. You are supposed to, as a comedian, you're supposed to be controversial. You're supposed to take the other side. You're supposed to get the audience to, to question their foundational thinking. And, and that to me, what happening with this wokeism, and I've been thinking about it a lot because also it has to do with this new religion of scientism. 
is that what was really happening is this, as, as our good friend, Professor Peter Bergosian, uh, formerly of Portland, uh, Portland, Portland, Portland University, Portland, yeah. Portland State University, yeah. he will tell you, there is a, even though they claim to be athe atheistic or atheist, or they claim um, they are still, um, there is a religious architecture in their thinking. Yeah. And so in that religious architecture, either, you're either with their religion or you're a heretic. And if you're a heretic, they try to burn you at the stake uh, with this new fanaticism and, and the, the burning you at the stake is social media. I, so I that, think that's kind a, of that's a really good comparison to make insofar as so when Peter Bogosian resigned a couple of weeks ago now from Portland State, in his resignation letter, he said uh, that the students at Portland State are no longer being taught to think. They're being taught to mimic the ideological certainty of the people there. Um, and that, that's, of course, the opposite of what is needed from higher education. And then similarly, I find with a lot that, of that's comedy... That's just indoctrination. That's indoctrination. It, it quite. But then for some reason, that seeped into the arts as well. So, you know, maybe not with all creatives, but, if you, but with commissioners, with executives on TV, with the people who run comedy clubs, run theatres, uh, it's almost as though they're, they're, their expectation is, first and foremost, are you towing the ideological line? If, yeah. if yes, then we tick that box. Now are you funny? Now are you talented? And those things become secondary. And that worries me an awful lot, actually. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I'm even telling you this. I agree with you, but I don't know why I'm telling you this. But like when I, I talked to Norm MacDonald uh, and I said, his talk show, and I said, well, um, you know, Norm, I would have I gone on there. And he said to me, you know, uh, I was only allowed to have uh, two white guys. In the show. Like, what? Yeah. And I said... Uh, <laughs> It's, hey, listen, you don't, don't make anything up for me. And he said, no, it's too wide. <laughs> you know? So wow. I do think like there are, there are things that are being, there are impositions, you know, yeah. and, and like I said, I got in some, well, I wouldn't say trouble, but I, mean, I got in the news because anybody who speaks and talks about this as, as it seems to be like, you know, like, thank you, you know, but the, um, I, I would say like much of, of comedy, late night comedy was, uh, indoctrination, cheering, you know, indoctrination through comedic imposition. Mm. I mean, it really is just, you know, it's just more cheerleading. It's yeah. just, all you had to do is bring up Trump during his breath. And like, you know, not that he was the, the be all end all, but it was such a frustration in society that we developed the Trump. But like, yeah. just attacking him, it isn't comedy. It isn't just, it isn't, it, isn't, it certainly isn't uh, challenging or, or interesting. So no. I found that I, and then the really interesting part was, I said to myself, if you could just replace this late night comedian stuff with this late night comedian stuff with this person's, and you realize it's irreplaceable, then they don't have a singular voice. Then that's absolutely. not interesting to me. No, that, that's absolutely right. I think what marks out a lot of those kind of comics is that exactly what you say. You could, you could give their material to someone else and it wouldn't matter. Whereas the, the, the really exhilarating standard performances like if I watch your stand-up set, I can't imagine anyone else doing your material. It's so wrapped up in who you are and what your onstage persona is. And that, that I think, is, is what makes it work. Thank and, you. And, and I worry about this, this, this idea, and particularly what you said earlier, which I think has really stuck with me now, this idea of needing the opportunity to fail. You know, when I heard the, when Louis C.K.'s work in progress set had been leaked and people were surfing and criticising that, and it wasn't a finished product, but even the product that had gone out, I thought was rather brilliant because I want comics to be anarchic and, and shocking and destabilizing and making me feel uncomfortable from time to time. That to me is a, yes. 
it, it, these it people are, we're all messed up. We're all messed up. I went out to go see when Eric Idle and John Cleese were performing in Florida. And I just told my wife, you know, because uh, we just had a, a new baby that was about a month old. and said, can I just go for two days? <laughs> you know, just two days, <laughs> please. And, it's, it's in my, and she knew how much I love John Cleese. And uh, so she said, absolutely, just go. We'll come back and, and, then, and then I'll give you the baby. Uh, but uh, so I went out there and I'm, I was really lovely because I was out in Florida and, and uh, um, it's like five years ago now. And Eric Idle and we went out for, for drinks after, which was fantastic. And Eric said, you know, he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a terrible Eric Idle accent. He said, said you, know, you know, we're all messed up. You know, we're all messed up. Like my, my father came back from World War One, for World War Two. Came back and then um, was he may survive World War Two, and then was killed by a tram on the way home when Eric was five. And I just like, oh my god, you know, my my mom was a war survivor who passed away just this this year, and I didn't realize until I was in therapy with the great Dr. Gabor Mate that. Um, that, that that war kind of survivor thing was passed down to me. My mom was Filipino in, in the Philippines during the Japanese occupation of mm-hmm. the Philippines. And like, she starved, half her family was killed. So I didn't realize that this is, is passed on. This is trauma. So the people who are willing to expose themselves to potential humiliation, I mean, we, we yeah, as you know, there's something wrong with us to put ourselves <laughs> out there. Absolutely. And that should be celebrated. Yeah. That should be uh, that you should be, uh, you know, people who are willing to put themselves out there to hopefully show some universal truth about humanity and, or at least some foibles or at least to critique society. These people need to be held up, not, not as anything greater, but at least give them the room to yeah. fail, allow them to be the artists that they can, that they can develop into because it doesn't happen overnight. It takes thousands of performances, yeah. as you know. To, to finally get to the place. When I saw you perform here, the audience in America, when you opened, when you were, you know, I had you guessing open for my shows, you earned their respect right away because you have that presence and, you're, and your material stands up on its own. And me and the other comedians were dying on the side of the, on the, side of the, the audience listening, listening to your stuff, the side of the stage. And you hear the audience slowly getting into it. And then five minutes, boom, you, it was in. Well, I was, and, I was worried that, because of my... The references would be UK and all the rest of it, but but the, the audiences over there are so are so great, and that you know, but, it, but they are like, accepting. Yeah, but like you say, it takes time, doesn't it? So I, I don't think I really worked out my onstage persona for four or five years of doing stand up. To be honest, I think it yeah, was. That, it, it does take that. It does take those those many years, right? Yeah. Yeah. What What did you feel the turnaround was, and and how can we create that for new comedians coming up? That's exactly it, and 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 it is about trying things out. And I, I, you know, the very when I started doing stand up, I think what I was doing on stage was so inauthentic and so was so far removed from me that it was it was more a theatrical. And and not to say that what I do on that stage is the same as who I am, but but yes. something just kind of clicked actually, and it clicked. I tell you what, it was. It was when I was taking risks. When I was at a point, I was like, oh, I don't care. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm just going to take those risks yeah. and see what happens. When the ego gets ripped away, I mean, first of all, yeah. it makes perfect sense what you're saying to put up this false, uh, this, this, this false uh, Andrew Doyle, because yeah. if, that gets, if that gets rejected, well, that's not really me. Right. You know? But when you really put yourself up there, when the ego gets, gets stripped away and it's like, all right, this is really going. And then when that works, there's a vulnerability to that. And there's a truth. And people do sense that. And yeah. people do sense that, that you're taking that risk. And, and the people who take that risk should be, 
it should at least be acknowledged that this is very risky thing to do. So the next time, you know, somebody gets shamed on social media or, or uh, in some way, they say, well, at least, you know, I mean, he took a risk being on stage. You well, know, you know, like, we've had a number of cases over the past few weeks, actually, in the UK, which probably haven't been reported on in America, but uh, three or four different comics have had uh, work taken away from them. One, one guy had his tour taken. Uh, there was a woman who had her, her, her contract cancelled because of old tweets. And I'm not necessarily defending the tweets or anything like that, but I find it weird that people expect creatives necessarily to be good people, firstly, or, 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 to, or, or to not have flaws. Like, I think some of the most incredible artists were terrible people, and maybe that's why they were able to create such incredible things, because they had a skewed mind. They had a, you know... Uh, and yes, I, I don't think anyone could look at Pablo Picasso's work on, uh, this, you know, his famous piece at the... Uh, uh, I forget which... which um, museum it is now and you can't look and go yes but, yeah. but what about that second marriage of his that was yet, he did I, not treat her well well <laughs> uh, there was a very famous stand-up set which won all sorts of awards a couple of years ago and the comic has a whole section about how pablo picasso is a horrible person because of his sexual relationships and and the the implication was very much we shouldn't even be studying his work or looking at his work and and that to me you know i'm sure you well, know, that's, a lot of, I, I, I just can't get on board with this idea. I have to be I can't either. I, I, I can't. You have to, like, the idea you separate from the artist. If he's doing something right then in front of you or something, yeah. then it can, you know. But, um, you know, it's just there is an endless amount of bloggers. Now, I wouldn't just call them journalists because I don't want to um, – I, I wouldn't want to, to, to describe them because they're not, you know. But, yeah. however, if they sell enough, they have to sell 100 articles a month. So they got to do their stuff. So they're going to dig wherever they can dig to get stuff. Yeah. So, the, the, I mean, literally in the United States, um, last summer, people were digging up a uh, written down, it was a transcribed conversation of, of an acceptance speech at USC from John Wayne from 1972. And they mm -hmm. said he was racist. He said terrible things about the Native American people. And uh, he used the term Indian, not Native American. I said, I don't think anyone used Native American back then anyway. So uh, it's endless. Yeah. But what you have to do is it has to like the way I try to describe it for people, and it doesn't necessarily work, but I'm going to try again. As I said, anytime you have a new, uh, a new industry that shakes up the world, and let's just go to aviation. If, in 1903, basically when it started, I mean, so there, I guess there are some people in the, in the, you know, in Russia said, no, we started here. And then the French were all fighting, but it, let's just say the, the, the Wright brothers in, in Ohio got the first plane going. Mm -hmm. And it really took about 15 years from 1903 to 1918 to where people will, well, they were able to take this new industry to start using it to kill people and drop bombs at this new thing or by 1918. So it's the same thing 15 years in with social media. They're just learning how to kill people with it. They're just learning how to destroy mm -hmm. people. And like, it's the new, instead of burning people at the stake by these new, this new inquisition, they just, they're burning them at the, the stake of uh, social media. And then oh, you know, when, when they start piling on, I mean, you know that if they were in the inquisition, if they had access to the tinder and the flames, they would love to <laughs> throw them on the pyre. When you could just it, it hasn't changed. You could take those people from, uh, from Spain in that era. You could put new clothes on them, kind of tell them what's going on here. It's the same people. We but don't change that much. And it's, it's not even, as you said, I mean, you mentioned John Wayne there because it's not even the living, it's the dead as well. They had, um, I, I remember people dragging up an old Playboy interview that John Wayne did and saying, look how problematic this stuff is. I'm like, he was born in 1907. 
Well, I would be really shocked if he didn't have outdated attitudes. I mean, this is so weird. So it's not, it, and that's the thing about this this religion of wokeness. Is Can you imagine John Wayne in his grave going like, at least it's over. I don't have yeah. to worry anymore. Exactly. It's all behind me. What? What the? I did what? <laughs> and then they dig him up and then they prop up his body and put him on trial. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of think, I, you know, on the one hand, you've got people expecting moral purity from artists and everyone yeah. today, but moral purity by their standards, of course, they're allowed to be bullying and hectoring and they're allowed to harass people and, uh, and be yes. just, but they have and, a different And as long as they themselves. control the medium, the, yeah. you know, the social media, then no one will check them for, for their stuff, but you know, so, too, but, but if you, scary. But if, if, and if you step out of line there, you're just as bad. Like Louis CK was the most celebrated uh, comedian in, uh, of his era. And, and by by Democrats and liberals, and he accepted to his, yeah. you know, I, I don't want any group to grab me because I don't want anybody to accept me. I want to just do my own thing because if you accept that, and then as soon as he stepped out, you know, boom, gone. Yeah. So I, I do think that that's um, something that you know, I don't know where it's going to go, but I do think that uh, people will have to. Uh, it'll change just like there, people are adjusting to it, and I think hopefully it'll be new forms of uh, of social media so it'll it'll break up that centralized power because that centralized power even in politics it uh it they can they can do bad stuff because yes. it's just a consolation of power but i mean nothing's forever and I do, I do think people are pushing back and i think that's really important and i think i suppose what troubles me about it is 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 that like i say it's not just about the present it's about let's revise this revisionism you know let's revise the past i even saw protesters in america trying to tear down Abraham Lincoln's statue. Um, you know, he well, had, he owned slaves. Right, okay, but he also <laughs> ended slavery, didn't he? I, I mean, I don't, my, my American history is pretty poor, but I've got some grasp of it. And it's like this, this idea that if we can just cleanse everything from the past yes. that was unpalatable, uh, rather than engage with it, acknowledge it, with it, acknowledge it and move on. And if we could just cleanse the way everyone now speaks and the things they say, if we can just do that, it's we'll trying to magic make utopia. utopia. Yeah, it's trying to make this utopia and creating something much, much worse. You talked about Abraham Lincoln. It was really interesting because Abraham Lincoln was, you know, he became president, the, the, the 15th, he was the 16th president, the 15th mm -hmm. president of the United States. When he left, he said, I leave office, I leave Washington, D.C. as the last president of the United States. And then Abraham Lincoln, 13 days in, the South secedes from the Union. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, but he did, he had to have awakening. And he did say, like, if, uh, if I could keep the Union together, uh, he would deal, you know, he could accept uh, uh, slavery, you know. Um, so he had problematic then, ideas by our standards. He, he did, but, but at the same time, he was working through something. I mean, Frederick yeah. Douglass met with him. And, and when he said, like, and he said to Frederick Douglass, this is not your country. You know, maybe you should all go back to Africa. He said that. that. And Frederick Douglass was like, was absolutely devastated by that. Yeah. And, but at the same time, this man still came around to, to realizing and who was, you know, realizing by, who knew that this was evil and, and that the subjugation of human beings was the, the rot of humanity. Yeah. And, that, and, and that England had known this before. But so he did come around and he did make the right decisions. But should we judge him from his his questioning of it being a man of his time or should, or, or can we say to him that yes, he was a man of, of great consequence and well, a man of uh, who, who did at the end of the day, make the, the emancipation proclamation and we should give him credit for that. Or should we just judge him on what he said to Frederick Douglass in a conversation uh, nine months uh, prior? 
my feeling about this is that in order to have lived at that time and to have taken um, an abolitionist stance, an anti-slavery stance, you would have had to be quite a free thinker, quite a creative, you know, the, the William Wilberforces of this world. I mean, they're not typical, they're not usual. And what I find ironic yes. about a lot of this is that the, the, the woke, the people, the people who follow the woke ideology, had they been around at, the, at that time, they are not the kind of people who think for themselves. They are the kind of people that follow the herd. In fact, they would have been the ones supporting slavery. And it's really funny to me that they're, they're saying yes. we should judge these people from the past by their own standards. It's free thinkers. It's people who can think outside the box who say, actually, what's going on in our culture is completely wrong. It's actually, it's Huckleberry Finn in the novel who's who, all these adults, these religious, pious people, they don't see anything wrong with being a Christian and also enslaving people. And yet that book can't be read in schools. In, in right, many schools, that's though. what's so infuriating now. <laughs> because there's been actually versions of that book published with the, the racial, racial epithets taken out or just removed from libraries altogether and removed from schools. It's an explicitly anti-racist satire. And that's there's something well, I, so... Go on, sorry, Rob. The, the idea that like human beings don't don't have a sense of good and bad and right and wrong mm. and can't find out on their own and so therefore we have to do it for them is a, is a sense of that that paternalistic attitude towards society and people we're gonna no we can't these ideas we can't get out there you know the ACLU just this week I mean the, the yeah. American Civil Liberties Union I mean a stalwart for free speech a stalwart yeah. for, I mean, for, for decades. I mean, I, I was very proud of this organization. These are people, 1975, 76, who fought for the Nazis to be allowed to march in Skokie, Illinois, the neo-Nazis. Why? Because to silence any group is wrong, even these hateful guys. Yeah. And we're setting a bad president. So they represented them so that they could have that march because they realized that if you silence these guys, then it's not going to stop. And that is what's happening now. And so you take the ACLU, that same organization uh, that is now attacking and saying, maybe we should make limits on free speech. And then two days ago, unbelievably, they you know, one of the, the icons of the, of, of, the, um, of, of, the, of the liberals right at this point and liberal thinking and judicial uh, thought for um, the United States is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm -hmm. And, the ACLU changed her words out of her mouth in a statement, wherever she said woman and put they and put and they literally put person. And, you know, it's just like it's me. You're not making that statement better by, by, by and you can't change somebody else's words. And th this is somebody this is an icon to you. You're not allowed to do that. And so you really have this kind of uh, fanaticism. That's the only way I can describe it. It is yeah. a fanaticism. And if you dare step out of it, you know, you're the heretic. That, to me, the fall of the ACLU, I found particularly shocking because, as you say, you know, there was even that book by one of the co-founders called Defending My Enemy about the, the neo-Nazis in Skokie because, you know, he yeah. was saying, I defended them, their right to free speech because I want to fight what they stand for. But that's part of it. That's how we defeat them is through, is through discourse, not through censorship. And yet now the ACLU, and what was particularly galling about the Ginsburg quotation is they were quoting her because they thought they were celebrating her. They were saying, look at this pioneer, and here's one of her wonderful quotations, but we've corrected it, because actually she was a bit of a transphobe. I mean, that's the implication, isn't it? That's the insinuation there. It is, but then you lose, and that's what going back to what we said earlier, you're losing allies like you and me. You can't even say the woman who wrote Harry Potter anymore because she's created, she's obviously such a horrible transphobe. And I said that this person is a, a hero. This person is an icon that we should look up to 
And I think you have to be able, that, that is the last, as Peter Bogosian, Professor Peter Bogosian said, the, the last refuge for despots is censorship. Yeah. If absolutely. you really love your ideas, if you really think they're good, then, then you can debate them and crush other people. But if you really, really don't have a solid footing, that's when you need to silence and you yeah. need to uh, silence your, you know, those in opposition. So I, I think that's a pretty good, I think people are coming on to that. And I want to say that, but at the same time, it just keeps going. I remember like, you know, is this just going to keep going? I remember it's like um, there was an article in the New York Times from the 1920s. And it said like, these Nazis, don't worry about these Nazis. They're just a group. They're just like, they're a bunch of bullies. They could never, this is like the most educated. I mean, if you look at philosophy, there's the greatest percentage of great philosophers and thinking and the world. This, trust me, look at literature, German literature. These guys, and, and so, and then, but what does what does give me, I guess, uh, make me feel a little bit better was even you know during the war years, 1943, 44, there were Nazis, real Nazis. We said, okay, these Nazis are going too far. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. I'm hopeful that there'll be a split, and anytime there's a split in that power, the split in this woke power and this in this kind of um, this it, it's some sort it's some sort of cultish insanity that's happening in the world where they're ruining language and and at the same time demonizing those against them. At some point, are they going to realize that they've gone too far? I'm hopeful that I mean, that they will. The difficulty is is that everything that they do is couched in progressive terminology, and they 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 make the case that they are trying to move things forward and make society better, while in fact they're they're making it regress, they're making things worse, they're dividing us racially, they're dividing us by sexuality, and so that's hard to fight against. And I remember talking to you about this a couple of years before the pandemic, uh, about yeah. whether this is going to end. When you know, and I, I was feeling relatively optimistic. I even thought once a global pandemic happened, people might be like, oh, actually. That there are more serious things to worry about than someone's pronouns. And actually, it's just got a whole lot worse. And, and so maybe we'll be having another conversation in three years' time, and it'll be, it'll be even worse than it currently is. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope not. But I, I do think that um, I think if you build up an audience that knows and comes to see you, mm. like um, I, I think that that's, that can, can grow. And, yes. and I think as long as it, at the end of the day, if it's funny, it's got to be funny. Yeah. And so the new comedians, they're going to have to find a way to be funny within this. And it's going to be a lot harder. And there are going to be people who are kicked out. There was a guy who was going to be on, you know, my former show, Saturday Night Live. And they found something he said on a podcast and uh, where he was trying to be funny. And it just came off as, uh, as insensitive and, and racist against a Asian people. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw it. And I said, um, well, it wasn't funny. That was the biggest crime. The second crime was it's, it was seemed insensitive. And, yeah. But, but then, then you have a conversation with them. Yeah. Well, that didn't work clearly. And then, but you have to have a place to fail. You have yeah. to have a way. The only way you find boundaries is to push it. Yeah. You know? And as far as like, it's not a solid boundary. I mean, the boundaries of society ebb and flow over the, over de over the generations and over months sometimes to where it's like the, it's like the occurrence, the ocean, it'll come in and come back and it'll find, so it'll find its place. Well, but then it'll I find tides and low tides. And I think there are even opportunities within this culture because, you know, when uh, we started up my, my monthly comedy night again uh, the other week, and you can sense the relief that there are comics on stage joking about this stuff that you never see on British TV anymore. The audience are absolutely <laughs> desperate to have these things addressed. So there's actually an opportunity 
that could work here, I think. I think you're right. I do think that that right now, I think there's never been a, uh, well, there's never been a more important time. And I would say, hey, it's whenever I use the word important in comedians, I do think that like, you have to find a way to attack any structure that is intolerant. That, that absolutely. And I think that what, what the problem with is the wokeism is that it's intolerance in the guise of tolerance and it's yeah. racism in the guise of being uh, quote anti-racist. Well, I don't even know what that means, but you have. Um, and so they, they right now have the upper hand, but I think it's easy to start taking those cards away in that house of cards logically and and um as far as tolerance it falls pretty quickly well i also think i'm getting a lot of messages from other comics i had one this morning actually um from people saying i'm really liking what you're doing and you know with the insinuation of i wouldn't do it but i'm glad uh, you're yeah. doing it you know no, do you I, get mean, much... I watch you from over here i watch you from over here and it's just like well first of all you're so much uh, smarter than me but i i really feel like you're uh, you're able to communicate a point in, in a way that is completely calm and completely rational and logical. And you just, you destroy the, the, the um, people who are illogical, irrational, and they're not. And so, and so th that's gotta be really irritating to, to the woke mob because well, you mean, make sense to, and you make sense to other people and you bring them over to our side. I always think when it comes to those sort of Twitter arguments, I mean, my, my feeling about it is, it is performative. And if you're getting into an argument on Twitter, there's always going to be an element of ego there because it's a spectator sport, right? Um, so really my feeling is, is if, you, if you engage in good faith, assume that the person is a, a good person and that you just disagree. They, and if they are these crazy activist types, they will show themselves up. They can throw all the insults and, and smears they like, but everyone's watching and they're not looking good. You know? And I think that's just the, that's the only way I can think to do it because otherwise you, you, you become like them. You know, and you, you yes, start. and that's easy. Yeah. It's easy to just throw hurl uh, things back at them, um, you, and it's you're and quite it feels good. On Twitter, aren't you? I mean, do you feel? I'm less you, now. I, really? I, I do feel less. I just felt like you have to recognize it's a, it's a liberal playground, and I don't mean liberal in the sense of like you know I'm a true liberal, just like you are. We yeah. stand for the. I mean, the liberal virtues are great. You know, it's it's about not judging people by the color of their skin. It's about, you know, women's rights. It's about gay rights. It's about human rights. It's about the ability to express yourself and the ability to, for expanding freedom and human rights. That's real liberalism. But somehow uh, that makes us conservative. So I, I, how did that happen? I, well, what part of that was conservative there? Because we didn't go far enough? Yeah. I mean, we're not, and so, so that to me is... Um, you know, that's the starting ground where right? we can bring people over and hopefully yeah. people can come back from the abyss because yeah. we need them to come back from the abyss because they're, they could pay money to see us too, Andrew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, that's, I, I find the conservative thing really interesting because also, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a conservative, right? It's just, I, I, I don't think my no, position is but, particularly. but it was never fun. You never, when you were in your 20s, you didn't want to be a conservative. No. <laughs> you don't want that. You don't want to like, you know, I don't want to pay taxes for these guys. Well, well they go out and get a job. Okay, but how, know, how is it then that it's, it's younger people clutching their pearls and getting all uptight about what people are saying now? I mean, that's what I associate with an older generation. Yes. You know, someone who's jaded with life. And they just want it, and they're, they're, they're sick of the way people are trying to change everything. And it, it, it's kind of reverse. It's, it's topsy-turvydom. I find it, it fascinating. It, it, well, what it is, again, it is a fanaticism. It is a, a stoicism. And there's nothing wrong with being conservative either. 
I, I didn't mean to say that. I just don't like being grouped into like someone who, who, who just, who, who acts like the world is fine. Leave it alone. You know, yeah. this is like, like you guys. And I think that is what's happening with the, this kind of illiberal liberalism now is like, you know, we're trying to fix this thing and you guys, and we're going to, and then they're just going on, on the, going on the attack. Trump was spreading this racist conspiracy theory that the, 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 the uh, virus might have leaked from a lab in Wuhan. And now, of course, Joe Biden is investigating the possibility that the virus leaked from a lab in Wuhan. So what was once just yeah. dismissed as racist conspiracy theories now, what the Democrats think. That's my problem. What are the Democrats going to come back and say, or the liberal intelligentsia and say, okay, you know what? You got us on that one. You're right. Okay. We're wrong. We're so wrong. We're not going to get that. So there, there is well, no check. That's the consolidation of, of the liberal media is that there is no gut check. There's no going back and saying, we're wrong about that. Let's go, let's go back and look at that. You know, they that just go on to the next thing. Because that, that strikes me as people who are no longer interested in truth. They're interested in their side winning. And it, it, it's almost yes. a product of the way in which, I mean, we've got identity politics, which is careering out of control, but now even political affiliation has become like the prime form of identity. And I, I, I see that again and again. And you mentioned the idea of two plus two equals five. People will think you're joking about this, but you're not. I've seen academics, uh, woke academics who are, are activists, really, um, yes. who are making the case that actually, you know, there are so many multiple ways of knowing and lived experience and people's uh, perceptions and th their own truths. You know, Meghan Markle often turns and talks about her truth. Um, and, and they have been arguing that actually, well, two plus two can, can equal five, you know, and, and people will think you were joking about that, but that is really happening now. Well, then language doesn't, isn't language anymore. And, and it just becomes all nonsense. Mm. So you can't, uh, you, you really, you have to like, when you, if you're not allowed to call a woman a woman and you have to call them people who menstruate, then we really are talking about the destruction of Western civilization because <laughs> we're trying to ruin the basis of Western civilization is language. We have to have language and then common sense. I do think if you destroy people's common sense so that the people can stay divided forever, but because, you know, if you can get people to go, okay, well, okay, maybe two plus two equals five, you know, no, 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 come back, come back, come back to us. That's insane. Now you're uh, being a crazy person. Well, it's now also that's hilarious. crazy. Stop because it. Because that is the moment in Orwell's 1984 when we know we've lost Winston Smith because he casually writes two plus two equals five in the dust on a table, and you know that's the moment yes. he's gone. And it's like they're—I mean, it's like they're borrowing it and using it as a playbook. Like, why would they? Why would they choose that particular example to disrupt? Like, if, unless yes. they're trying to emulate it. It's crazy, but you know, first of all, modern media has, has been being consolidated since the since really the 1990s when you had basically nine medias that were with NBC, you would have uh, Disney, you would have, and now you have a, a, a much um, even more uh, of a consolidation mm. of, of mainstream media and news. And so, if you look at the real problem of news, as Noam Chomsky talked about in his Manufacture of Consent, was you know, the modern media and, and it's just, it's a wrecking ball. And every day is just rolling over and rolling over and then continuing destroying things, never going back to look at the destruction in its wake. Yeah. And I do think that the woke mob is that way too, is it just destroying things and not looking at the carnage left behind, the human beings left behind, language left behind, and how society and culture left behind. And, and I really feel that if comedians in, in the UK are going to be, worried about getting arrested for a joke or a tweet and then who's getting to decide and then, then those guys are going to get judged next the judges will be judged 
and it will never end until we just decide to stop playing this game. The only way to stop playing a game in a relationship is stop playing a game. This yeah. relationship is becoming very dysfunctional, Andrew. <laughs> it is very dysfunctional. And I think you're right. I think people just need to be braver. And, and maybe they go after comedy because comedy can get to the truth and, and, and they perceive the truth to be some kind of enemy. Like I say, it's just about tribalism. It's just about your agenda and your side. And, and you know, but I think but that at the moment feels in America like a particularly potent thing is the... Is the uh, it is. We have to have... The, there can't be like... A, you know, this subjective truth. There's either true or it's not true. Some yeah. things we have to have some common ground. And I do think, you know, what my, you know, my conspiracy minded, I, I, you know, I think, well, you know, this is not going to get worse and it does get worse. And there's not going to be passports that, you know, you're not going to be able to need a car to go into a restaurant that, that, that was a conspiracy theory a year ago. And all yeah. of a sudden, you know, I went into, uh, in America, you know, I went into a, a place, in California, they said, well, we need to see your vaccine card. And I was like, I already had COVID and I got over it, like natural immunity, which according to the Israeli study is 27 times stronger than the vaccine, according to the Israeli study, peer-reviewed study, it's 86%. I mean, I know what I'm talking about. It's 86%, uh, the most vaccinated country in the world. You know, and they said, well, I'm sorry, you, if you don't have that card, you vaccine so card. Because the, the vaccine passport is a good example. And so I said, well, hey, look, look, pretend I'm not going to eat. Just pretend I'm going in to vote. Just pretend I'm going in. <laughs> <laughs> they should let me in to vote. They need to let anybody in to vote. That's the joke. Anyway, so what were you saying now? Well, just that the vaccine passport is a good example is that people didn't believe that would happen. And now it's, it's remarkable how quickly people just suddenly, accept. even liberals who, you know, should on principle be against, uh, you know, showing your papers. Um, uh, they just rapidly accepted it. I mean, I made the, I made the, I've made the case before about how, you know, I argue about free speech and I talk about how in this country we have the police investigating people for non-crime, these things called non-crime hate incidents. And they always come back to me and say, yeah, but they never lead to prosecutions. And I think, hold on a minute. If I'd have said to you 10 years ago that the police were investigating people for non-crime, you would have said that will never happen. Now it's happened and you're just making excuses for it. So it is what I perceive to be this kind of slippery slope happening. It is happening. And it's, it's really interesting to me but like the, and this makes people very angry, Democrats very angry, but there were 80 Democrats who voted in Congress, who voted against the Civil Rights Bill, 1964, mm -hmm. giving rights, equal rights to African-Americans and uh, people of color. Now, the thing is, the people who are uh, least likely to be vaccinated in the United States are people of color. Uh, as it was 70.1% of African-Americans were not vaccinated. Right. And so when they're trying, when, when the Democrats are saying, well, you know, we're going to be closed out of society. We're going to be segregated. You're segregating people of color again. That is what's happening in America. That is unbelievable to me. And it's the Democrats doing it again because they're, the they're the ones in power. Not just, very, but they, you know, it's I'm amazing to the me. I'm woke don't get on board, don't, don't recognize this, this, this contradiction. They're starting. They are, are they? starting to. Well, Black Lives Matter is now protesting these two women who weren't allowed to eat at, at a, at a, you know, at a restaurant because they didn't have the vaccine card. Well, you know, we know maybe this, this, black black women who should just want to get something to eat. Maybe so this, this could point, be this could be the kind of thing that tears it apart. Yeah. Actually, is when when elements within the movement start contradicting each other, start turning on each other. That could be the thing that does it. Well, that, again, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for like what happened in 1944 in Nazi Germany when like, okay, we're not as crazy as those Nazis. We got to get that Hitler guy out of here. And they, <laughs> you know, they, they tried to kill him July 20th. 44, which is now celebrated as one of the most, you know, uh, is a moment that all Germans should be proud of. And they should be. 
but there was it was like these guys went too far and that that is my hope because ultimately as comedians we have to be hopeful we have to be hopeful in the human condition we have yeah. to hope that the human condition continues to get better otherwise why are we doing this really i mean it's just it's just a, it's a pain in the a pain in the ass to travel you know, your suitcase maybe the audience you know is it'll like you a little bit less than last night or whatever so unless you feel like there's you know you're doing something or making people really laugh or some little bit of enlightening the world you know and and my hope is that the crazy woke who are too crazy are going to say okay those ones are way overboard and it's starting to happen yeah. with the uh back passports and and the eliminating of uh, or, or I should say the discrimination and the resegregating again of african americans and people of color who have a reason to not trust the system because there was a thing called the tuskegee experiment and i don't know if people in the uk know about this but there's a reason why african well, African-Americans don't, do not trust the medical society because what happened was uh, Tuskegee um, was a, uh, this experiment where these African-American men were the CDC. I mean, the, the, the predecessor to the CDC, which is the CDC now, went there and knowingly gave syphilis to these African-American men just to see what would happen as an experiment. And now this was an experiment that just wasn't just one time. This went on for 30 something years from the 1930s until 1972. And finally one person said, this is wrong and unethical and, and, uh, and, and actually, you know, confessed and said, this is what's happening. And then it's not, so this are, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of doctors, maybe thousands of nurses that did this over the years, knowing that there were, that, that, that these African-American men just to see had the progression of syphilis. Like what? Yeah. It's the sickest thing that has been done in, in America as far as for, for medical research, you know? And so they, uh, so, um, and they gave it to their families, of course, and it's made these people sick and they died. People were sick. So there is a, a real reason to question medical authority as if they know everything. You know, they used to think it was common to think, uh, you know, lobotomizing people was the right thing. As a matter of fact, president Kennedy's sister, uh, I believe, uh, Ro I think Rosemary yeah. was uh, lobotomized, you know, because they thought, well, that's what they thought science should do at that time. They, you know, electric shock therapy was the 1960s. It's funny because Alan Watts, the, Alan Watts, the great philosopher said, you know, these psychiatrists would wear white coats if they thought they could get away with it. They're not doctors. They really aren't. Well, you're, I mean, you're right. The electric shock therapy was used against gay people who were seen as deviants. Yes, and, absolutely. And fix them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this was this was the this was the considered correct treatment for these human beings, you know. And 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 right that you know the uh, the very famous man who invented the computer, they did that wonderful movie about him. What's his name? Um, oh, Alan uh, Turing. The, yeah, yeah, Alan Turing. I mean, talk talk about what a, yeah. a guy who gave to the world, uh, you know, an incredible gift and helped yes. you know save the lives of millions of people. Yeah. So, I mean, we have to question. We have to always well, question. At the end of the day, we have to question. We have to question any authoritarian, anything that's authoritarian. Well, also, totalitarian, if, we have if, to. If the authorities want us to trust them, then they have to stop uh, making us not trust them. I mean, I think about, I no longer trust academics. I no longer trust what comes out of academia because, because they just, they, they're not interested in the production of truth or knowledge. They're interested in pursuing an agenda. Similarly, the yes. media, I no longer trust most media sources, but I always have I to check either. a story. Like I, I always read a story and then I'll check it in three or four other papers to make sure it's right. And that shouldn't be the case. That's amazing. You know, what's happening now, it's so interesting you brought that up because I used to watch CNN whenever any emergency happened. I would never watch CNN now just because it's all opinions. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it really reminds me of what um, 
a friend, you know, from the former Soviet Union, Ilya Baskin, the great uh, Russian actor. He was in Moscow in the Hudson with Robin Williams. He's a terrific actor. Um, he said, like, in former Soviet Union, everybody knows that the Pravda and Tass is, uh, was a lie from the government. So they want to find the truth. It was uh, you go person to person. And that's what's happening now. You say tribalism. We are going, you have to you talk to this person. Okay, this guy's probably got it right. And so you kind of listen to him, you know. Yeah. You have to be careful about being in an echo chamber so that you're not getting any, you have to all constantly be challenging that narrative, constantly be challenging that. Otherwise, you could get caught up in that too. Yeah. So that's that's what we're stuck right now. In, in, the, in the age of, of this new renaissance of, uh, of information and media, we've become more, um, I would say, more closed-minded and more um, less free than we were before it. Yeah. Well, kind of a, a pessimistic note there, but I think a lot of what you're saying is actually quite optimistic because you think we can push through all this. Um, we can. Just, we have to acknowledge what it is first. Yeah. We have to acknowledge the problem. It's like cancer. This is a cancer on language. It's a cancer on Western culture. This is. But it, we have to acknowledge the cancer. Now, here's how you treat cancer. You either cut it out, you poison it, or my favorite way is you stop feeding it. Yeah. So we stop feeding this woke madness. We stop feeding this destruction of our culture, our, our, the attack on our language. And we just, we just start, we stop attacking dead people and live people yeah. and, and st start working on our commonalities. Well, baby we stop steps. feeding, let's, stop let's, feeding the cancer. Let's leave, leave the dead alone. That would be a good start. <laughs> and then maybe we can progress. Haven't they then. suffered enough? The dead I mean, people. you know, death is a pretty bad fate. So let leave them, leave them. And then we'll move on to, you know, the morality police of today. And gradually, I yes. mean, I just think if you can imagine if everyone in the world just stood up and said, no, no more of this. If they were, next time they were told to go to an They are, but they don't have a session, platform, Andrew. No, I know. I know that's the problem. But you were saying, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. They didn't no, have just, a, it a just, training you know, we're, we're talking when if every worker who was told to go to an unconscious bias training session or if every worker at Coca-Cola who's told you should try to be less white as a recent uh, training session told, if everyone stood up and said, no, I'm done. If everyone did it, they would have nowhere to go. They, it could they would. Well, that's what I'm hoping for when I said this, the great split. We're talking yeah. about the great reset. The great split is when the, the woke and, and they, you know, like continental drift. It seems like it's happening very slowly. But yeah. I do think that there is a fissure happening. And I think once you have to attack the nonsense, you have to really do. And I thought that would be the end of this thing. But it isn't because they're creating new language to defend the nonsense. Yeah. When United Airlines said last month, Andrew, I don't know if you heard this. United Airlines said for, for, their, new, for their new pilots coming in, they're going to really focus on diversity. <laughs> it's like, what, what do they mean? I don't that? care. No, I, they're no. saying that they're going to make sure that they have different, you get, that they look different. I they, want I don't the care person to be able to fly like. the plane. I don't give a damn <laughs> yeah. what skin color they are. I don't give a damn who they're sleeping with. Just get me to my it, destination without yes, crashing. If, if it's a straight or gay midget, if he is the guy that can land this plane the best, and I'm sorry, little person, i sorry, I take that way back. Erase, erase. You have to, I want the person most qualified for the job. And I don't care what they look like or what their sexual proclivity is. I don't care what, I mean, and so that is what's happening. And if you keep going down that road to like, you know what, we need to have, uh, you know, a, a, a different nationality fly this plane to go to Cincinnati I, I, today. Yeah, I can't imagine sitting there saying, I, who, who, does the, who is the pilot been sleeping with? I need to know it's, a, it's another man. Or, or like, 
Also, gay people wouldn't be good pilots. We're too easily distracted. I just don't think that's a good idea. You know. Well, that's what Peter, our friend Peter, talks about. Um, diversity is only important. Is only diversity only works when winning isn't important. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd have you know. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you'd have more small people. Uh, you know, in the Premier League, you yeah. know, you know. But you want winning, so winning is important. So that that's all that matters. So I, I do think it, I'm hopeful it's a blip in humanity uh, in the, the, and that it will come back to some sense of normalcy and some sense of decency where we, we don't feel like we have to attack others for, um, for, for just for feeling the way they've always felt, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that's anyway. a really, really positive note to end on. Just before we go, can I just ask what, what's next for you? What do you think you're going to working on next will it be the emu film hopefully well we're we're trying to make the great emu with john cleese and myself and and so many uh, wonderful actors it looks like that's going to happen in the in the spring Uh, i just finished a really nice little film with my daughter actually the um called daddy daughter trip which is a sweet little movie you know i don't know how many more movies i get a chance to make and i wanted to always make that beautiful italian movie like roberto benini you know la la vida one of those ones where it's, it's about this poor family. They don't have money and um, she's at school and she heals, hears all these wonderful places that her friends are, growing, are going, her classmates are going for spring break. And so she lies and says she's going to do this wonderful trip and go to all these different places too. And so the father find, hears her getting mocked, you know, made fun of by the other kids. He decides to take her to all those places without any money. It's such a sweet movie. And that's been oh made, you've made it now, it's done. Yeah, we made it. And, um, and it came out really nice. We did it here in Arizona and it's lovely. And we're doing the music right. now and it's been nice. I mean, I've really been working on it for the whole year. And it, it's just something that I, I want people to, to watch with their kids. Because so many of the movies I made, you can't watch with your kids. I can't even show it to my kids. So I wanted to do something you can see with your grandparents. There's not one yeah. swear word in it. Yeah. So that's a really nice little movie. And right. I want to get you over here so we can record your comedy special in the states that'd be fantastic i said it to you before we'll do that and we'll do it for netflix you'll have to change some stuff (laughs) i'll change all the references so that they understand what the hell i'm talking about oh Um, you did great but i'm uh i'm hoping to be able to get back to america anyway just so we shall see fingers crossed yeah Uh, fingers crossed seeing a new film that sounds fantastic thank Thank you you. and i've been following you and watching you and, and thank you for standing up for freedom of speech Thank you for your book on freedom of speech and, and your continued fighter. And you're doing it in the best way to bring people over to the side of reason, which is to do it in a loving, accepting way, which is good. And you're not attacking people. You're just attacking the intolerance in their, um, in their argument. So thank you for that. Thank you, Rob. I'm so flattered that you said that. Thanks. Uh, and a little embarrassed, but that's, uh, <laughs> I, don't take, I don't take compliments well. I'm not good at it. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been Free Speech Nation, the podcast with me, Andrew Doyle, and my guest, Rob Schneider. Thanks very much for joining us. Please do make sure that you like and subscribe if you enjoyed the episode. Uh, If you didn't enjoy the episode, I'm not really interested in what you've got to say because you've got no taste. So join me next week. I'm going to have another fabulous guest. See you then.